Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. Hi, I'm Mark Brumley with Ignatius Press, and I'm here today with Carl Olson, editor of Catholic World Report, and we're going to talk about the wonderful world of Twitter. Carl, recently we had a little bit of controversy surrounding Catholic World Report and Twitter. In fact, Twitter was so kind as to uh, block the Catholic World Report account for a while. I say kind because uh, for many of us, Twitter is a near occasion of sin. And so maybe from a certain perspective, it, it's a good thing. But uh, tell us a little bit about why Twitter decided that Catholic World Report was not worthy to have its tweets made available to the general public. Yeah, Mark, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a funny story, even though it's a, it's a serious story, and obviously there's serious implications. But on um, January 19th, we had an automated tweet to go out from our Catholic World Report account. And uh, as you know, uh, most of the Catholic World Report tweets are actually just automatically generated from the links and pieces that are put on Catholic World Report. So we don't use that particular uh, account to do a lot of editorializing or interaction. It's more about sharing links and, and information. And so this particular tweet was actually a, a tweet of a Catholic news agency news brief, which we carry. And this was about uh, President Biden's appointment of Dr. Uh, Rachel Levine, who uh, the, the uh, author of the piece, Matt Hedro, uh, identified Dr. Levine as a biological male who identifies as a transgender woman. And in fact, Dr. Levine was and is, in my view, <laughs> a biological male, um, although he now you know, considers himself to be a woman. So four days later, five days later, uh, we received a note from Twitter saying that our account, the Catholic World Report account, had been locked because of this, and it was kind of a uh, you know in bureaucratic speak, and it talked about potential hateful, discriminatory language. Mm-hmm. And so we knew that it had to be about this identification of Dr. Levine as a biological male who identifies as a transgender woman. So we asked Twitter for an explanation. We wanted to get them on the record as far as a specific point of reference. Why were they locking the account? And we received the next day uh, a note from them just saying, "We, the our judgment holds firm. You didn't. You broke the Twitter rules, etc. Uh, we're not going to unlock the account." Um, and so, you know, you and I and, and some others discussed how to approach this, what to do. Uh, you know, we never thought about deleting the tweet. That's that. Would the, that was the uh, what Twitter asked or told us. That was the solution. For, if we for wanted to Twitter get back into the Twitter, the Twitter sandbox and play with the other kids we would need to delete this uh, this particular tweet. And of course, we weren't going to do that. And then out of the blue, uh, last Friday, so just almost a week ago, the account was unlocked. Um, and we didn't receive a notice. There was no communication from Twitter. Um, our, uh, I think it was uh, our managing editor, David Kilby, recognized that the, the all of a sudden the, the account was now live. He was able to use it. And then he looked and the particular tweet in question was still there. So Twitter didn't delete it. They didn't tell us the account was unlocked, but 
it's now unlocked and we've been able to use it again. And then the last part of this is that we found out yesterday from Catholic News Agency who did a story on this, that they were told by Twitter that the that basically the, the locking of our account and their judgment on this was done in error and they have reversed their decision on it, but they did not communicate that to us. They communicated that to Catholic News Agency. So it's, it's curious, it's uh, kind of interesting. And then of course the bigger context too, of course, there's been a number of other accounts. Focus on the Family had a uh, their account on Twitter locked, uh, and I think it was because of the very same topic or a similar topic regarding transgender issues. And um, there's been others that are reported as well, being either locked or even having their accounts shut down. So Twitter clearly uh, seems like the last couple of weeks since the, I would say since the Biden inauguration, it seems, has kind of uh, worked to, I don't know how to put it. I mean, they, they've obviously locked and uh, taken a certain approach to various, what we might call conservative or Christian or other related uh, Twitter accounts. Of course, before uh, Twitter threw off uh, then President Trump uh, from yeah. Twitter, I guess for lifetime banishment or whatever, uh, we're not obviously we're not uh, endorsing Donald Trump. We're nonpartisan, all that. So uh, it would be odd if somehow this were associated with that. But it, it seems like it's it's just related to uh, this this question of how you identify transgender people. Uh, and what does that even mean? Uh, and, and also, you know, in our day and age, what constitutes a hate crime? It's kind of hard to kind of hard to make sense of. I think you, in your uh, editorial on this, you said, well, we, you know, how can we keep up? We're not, we don't always, always know from day to day what's acceptable language when you can't just simply describe someone as a biological male who identifies as a transgender woman. That becomes offensive. Well, what next? Yeah, it's it keeps moving. The goal goalposts keep moving, and on top of that, it seems like there's an escalating speed that this is working at. I mean, it wasn't. I forget the exact dates, but back when Hillary Clinton was as a point of reference, when Hillary Clinton was senator of New York, she gave a speech on the Senate floor in support of uh, marriage being just between a man and a woman. And then, of course, we know that under the Obama administration. Um, the then Vice President Joe Biden suddenly came out publicly and said, "Yeah, we're our administration supports, uh, you know, quote unquote gay marriage." And then you you had that move along. But then I would say since 2010 till now, over about a 10 or 11 year period, there's just been this rapid escalation of the issue of of transgenderism. And and I think that it's funny because the the tweet in question, this reference to Dr. Levine as a biological male, et cetera. You know, maybe 10 years ago, this would have been uh, praised by secular outlets and maybe even Twitter as being, you know, kind of progressive and cutting edge that we would we would go so far to identify and to, you know, be open about the term this. transgender woman. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. And then a, f a few years ago, it was commonplace. And now it's offensive and hateful and discriminatory. Right. Um, so, you know, I, so part of the point that I've made in a couple of interviews about this is that uh, this really is, I think, an example of how language is being coerced and we're being told that we have to jump through hoops in order to use this particular platform or to be involved in this particular public conversation or to be considered part of polite society. Uh, and I do think that I think that Twitter, what Twitter is doing here, in my estimation, is probably 
a little bit of testing. I mean, I kind of, you know, seeing what, how people are going to react, seeing what uh, might the response might be. I think that perhaps, and I don't know this, but perhaps they were a little bit surprised by a little bit of the pushback. Um, I mean, it's not like Catholic World Report has some huge following on Twitter, uh, a little over 8,000 people, but it was the fact that we were able to generate some news stories and get some... Right. We're, and, we're, we have a relatively low-key presence on Twitter. We're elsewhere, but Twitter is just not a big thing for us. Right. And yet it seems like they reacted to to the media uh, coverage and things of that sort. Of, who knows? There may have been individuals on Twitter who complain. We don't know. Sure. Um, one of the things I just find fascinating about this is that you and I have seen some uh, responses from people saying, well, uh, clearly what you put there was offensive because everybody knows what transgender woman means. Why did you have to say biologically male? You know, the, the underscore, uh, the, the, the biological foundation for who this person is, as if to deny that the person uh, is transgender. That, that was sort of the argument. Well, what you have, I think, and you and I talked about this, and I think you and I had a common experience, and that is, for people who are wrapped up in this world, and by this world, I mean those who are really activists in terms of the transgender issue and really are believe it's an important issue that everybody should be on board with, et cetera, they don't seem to get that for a lot of people in America, this is a non-issue. It's not something that's really part of their daily life. Um, they're, they're, I've, I mean, I've known people, you know people, we talked about this, who don't even really understand what that means. Right. Uh, I know that's going to be you know, some kind of heretical, sacrilegious statement to people out there. Everybody knows what a transgender. No, they don't, actually. Uh, I mean, right. I, I grew up in a small town in western Montana. Uh, I've been back to visit several times the last few years. I think that a lot of people there, it's like, I, I don't really, it's, it's just not part of their world. So part of the, you know, part of the answer there is, well, we, that I think that description given there in that CNA brief is a, an accurate one. It's meant to help people understand Dr. Levine was, uh, is a biological male who calls himself, uh, you know, a woman, a transgender woman. Um, of course, that what's offensive to such folks is that we don't recognize it. No, there's no maleness here now anymore. But right. biologically, scientifically, commonsensically, yes, there is. He's still a male. Right. Um, that is and that's the second point. The first point is that yeah. for the purposes of clarity, because we don't assume everybody understands what the term transgender woman means, exactly. uh, the idea that we're going to indicate that this is someone who is biologically male, identifies in a way as a transgender woman. Uh, uh, so that's a that's a, a service that uh, journalism provides in helping to peep the reader who may not be up to speed on the latest uh terminology and lingo and ideas out there in, in popular culture um, to understand what's going being said. That's that's point one. And, and I do want to underscore this. I've had uh, conversations with, you know, reasonably well-educated adults who don't follow every uh, jot and tittle of this discussion. Uh, and there have been indications they're confused about what a transgender woman is. Is a transgender woman a man who now regards himself as a woman, or is it a woman who has become or regards herself as having become a man? Now, you and I know what these mean, these terms mean, as you say, but not everybody does. So there's there's a actually a genuine um, educated 
purpose there, but but more to it, even if everybody understood, there's something problematic in doing a story about someone who thinks of himself as a woman and not identifying that that person is biologically male. In other words, you, there should be no, uh, this is a question of what reality is, what the truth is. Now, uh, that news brief, as you say, it didn't harangue anybody. It didn't go into a long dissertation on the problem with gender ideology, as Pope Francis has called it. Uh, it, it just simply stated a fact, but now facts are problematic. Some people are uncomfortable about facts because they they conflict with their self, their view of themselves and so on. So the rest of us now are not supposed to even make statements that are factually accurate for fear that someone else is going to take offense and, uh, you know, have his perspective on, on the world challenged by that statement of fact, even when the statement of fact isn't given in a way intended to hurt anybody. Well, right there, that's, I think that last part is important because for, as you well know, for folks who believe this is offensive, they really do think that just saying that, saying that Dr. Levine is a biological male is actually hateful, maybe even a hate crime, even, uh, you know, a bigoted, uh, nasty way of approaching it that and i've received a couple of emails we've had a few comments at catholic world report i mean the vast majority of comments at catholic world report not surprisingly have been very supportive of our position and folks have been really great in supporting us in this but there have been a few comments from people say well good for twitter you know this is this is hateful this is why you have trans teens who are killing themselves well that's a pretty strong statement so now so now they're saying that if we identify Dr. Levine as a biological male as part of a description in a journalistic piece, that that some 16-year-old kid in the Midwest is going to consider suicide. I mean, this is you. What you have is a lot of emotion, a lot of feeling, and a lot of therapeutic language thrown around um, by people who seem. I think this is the, the thing that I've been thought, thinking about a lot. People who really don't want anything they disagree with to be anywhere near them. Anything that might go contrary to their worldview or perspective now has to be not just i don't want to deal with it it has to be banished it has to be attacked we need to get rid of it um and this is where we're at you know with the advent of, of critical theory which you know i spoke of 10,010 i mean i would, I would argue uh that since 10,010 and this is actually a, a date a year mentioned in this really uh, fascinating book called cynical theories by a couple of secular uh, authors who I think have provided an incredible service in a book about critical theory and how gender race and all these things have now become weaponized. It's all about you're either part of this tribe or we're going to banish you. It's, there's no, there's no dialogue. There's no discussion. And this is in academic circles. This has become incredibly toxic and now it is really leaked out into the broader culture. Uh, and even if there are a lot of people who aren't aware of it, the fact remains that when it comes to the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN, et cetera, et cetera, these uh, mainstream media outlets, this is how they approach it. And this is how those that we might broadly refer to as cultural elites, those who really drive so much of what uh, informs popular dominant culture, this is what they believe. This is how they approach it. Um, and we see it with race. We see it with sexuality. 
uh, and so many other things. And so it's not, like you say, for us, it's a matter of truth and common sense and natural law and biology and science. I mean, we really do believe on good, on good evidence that the science and the biology is in our corner. And yet, of course, as you know, Mark, uh, Christians, especially those with orthodox belief, are so commonly described as being anti-science or superstitious or whatever. And so Science deniers. This is, this is about language. Uh, I've Several times I've been happy to promote this wonderful little book published by Ignatius Press, by Joseph Pieper, Abuse of Language, Abuse of Power, which he wrote in the 19, I want to say 1950s or earlier 40s. I, I think it several was several decades ago. But, you know, Pieper, for I, I, those who... I'll have to look and see, Carl, here. It's really awesome. there. <laughs> I actually have two copies, and I have no idea where, they're, where they are right now, but... That's right. They're probably you know, in the Pieper, back there somewhere. <laughs> Pieper was a, you know, a Thomist, uh, Thomist and a philosopher who fought against National Socialism, uh, Nazism. Right. Um, and he makes, you know, he draws upon Plato and, 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 and of course, uh, more modern thinkers in, in really arguing that once you start to misuse language and use language in false ways, it's not just that you're lying. You're destroying right. relationship. You're destroying social fabric. You're destroying culture. Uh, you are hurting people. It's, it's an inhumane way to relate and to communicate when you misuse language and say that, no, he's, he's not a man. He's now a woman because he says so, um, th those sort of things. Well, I mean, I, so let's, let's try to put this to a little bit of a context. So obviously, uh, as Christians, as Catholics, we don't want unnecessarily to offend people. We don't want to go out of our way to tweak people's noses or generate hostility and so on. Uh, we try to be compassionate, understanding. That said, you know, we, we can't simply sign off on misstatements of fact, especially as regards people's identity as male and female. It's not just something we can just say, well, whatever you say is fine with me. It has all kinds of moral, ethical, social implications. Um, and yet we're pressured to do that nowadays. And it's, you know, it seems to me that um, this is part of this larger phenomenon. Um, you talked about critical theory. There's a little bit of a dance that we're doing in our society right now between a kind of a hyper-rationalism on the one hand, and then uh, a kind of a critical theory, postmodernist way of looking at things that's very skeptical about the ability to state things with impartiality and objectivity. And of course, we know all kinds of studies out there, historical studies, philosophical studies, that reason, you know, coming out of the early modern period, Descartes and so on, has been used and abused in ways of, you know, in, in ways of cultural imperialism and all kinds of things of that sort. Sure, that's happened, but it seems like we've swung to the other extreme now where it seems like for some causes, and a lot of them have to do with sex and sexuality, uh, we're unwilling to acknowledge that there is an objective, independently uh, determinant reality. Uh, you see this not just in this this gender debate, but you see it in the issue of abortion, where um, 
people will say things like, well, we, we don't know when human life begins. No, actually, we do know when human life begins. That's not a big, uh, difficult, deep philosophical question. It's a scientific question. We can ascertain when a distinct human organism comes into existence, and that's at conception. Well, what they mean is there's a debate. They don't want to say this. They want to kind of make it seem like, well, it's really uncertain and the whole question is a philosophical question, not a scientific one. Because we know if it's a scientific one and there's an answer, then, then there's an answer and it's definite. Since a lot of people want this to be ambiguous, they use all this kind of language to obscure the, 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 the fact that we know when life begins. What they really mean is there's an ethical debate about whether we should value each and every human life. Not whether this organism is a human life or a human entity, that's pretty clear from, from the science. But whether we should value that human life or whether life in the womb is something that we can disvalue, uh, that human life in all instances is not something to be cherished, but in fact it can be in some instances uh, destroyed when certain other human beings decide they want to be able to destroy it. And so you see a kind of a similar thing going on now with, with respect to gender, yeah. We, we pretend like we don't know what sex is or you know, what sex a person is. Uh, I went to, I think it was Wikipedia, and if I'm wrong about this, Wikipedia, don't get angry at me. But I went to one of the sort of public places you go to get current definitions of things. And it, there was a definition for transgender uh, woman. I think it was transgender woman or transgender that was something to the effect that uh, it's what you identify, it's the gender you identify as not the gender assigned at birth. Assigned, assigned is yeah. the language, yeah. Yeah. And and so the, the, the contrast was between two kind of um, nominal, not you know, way, two ways of naming gender, not a contrast between how you talk about gender and what is reality. Yeah. Uh, reality is you are male or female, uh, from the moment of conception, actually, but if you want to talk about birth, certainly at birth, you're male or female. There are a tiny number of cases where it's difficult to ascertain that with, with the same kind of clarity you ascertain it for the vast majority of people. But, you know, the fact is you're biologically male or female when you're born. It's not just simply a question of what's assigned to you. There's an objective reality there. Now, for social reasons, personal reasons, whatever, you may choose not to um, identify with that biological reality, but that's a choice, and it's a way of talking about yourself that doesn't correspond to reality. We don't have to beat people over the head at that point. We don't have to degrade them, but we do have to acknowledge that that's the truth. And. We see how that I mean, there's there's kind of a logical limits. Like if I if I were to show up, you know, go up to Portland and go to the Trailblazers uh, practice facility and say, hey, I'm I'm actually a 22 year old, fantastic, athletic basketball player, and I actually should belong on this team. Right. Um, they would look at my out of shape person, age 51, and you know, and laugh at me. Um, and yet, I'm actually closer. I'm actually closer to being a 22-year-old athletic male than any man is to being an actual woman. Right. I mean, if we're looking at this logically, 
Um, I, the, that language of assigned, I think, is really important because I think it goes to this real issue that this book, Cynical Theories, that I talk about, it gives a fantastic history of deconstructionism and how this is the, the fermentation of this. And one of the points it makes, and of course, this is something a lot of people know, is that uh, critical theory is really about power. It's, it's about who has power and who doesn't. And so the idea that someone assigned me as being male when I was born, that's in a sense, well, that was their power. Now I'm taking, I'm taking the power for myself. I'm undermining and overthrowing that power. And I'm saying, no, I'm, I'm a woman. And so all of these different issues come down to a sense of power, the, those in power versus those who are the, the victims. And while that, that can be obviously too simplistic at some point, that's really foundational to understanding the whole approach. Um, the, 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 it's like they want, the folks want to have a completely subjective approach to reality, but then they're very objective when they demand uh, a lot of other things. Um, whether it become to political agendas or everything from climate change to whatever, then all of a sudden it's absolutely right. scientific. It's absolutely yeah. known. So and that's the schizophrenia I was talking yeah, about. You know, on the one hand, we're very rational and scientific when yeah. we want to be, but then on the other hand, we can yeah. dismiss that or use that to characterize that as a as a as about yeah. power and control when we don't like it. And would you say, Mark? You know, speaking of you know the philosophical roots and and. Um, uh, you know, what we're seeing is kind of like the schizophrenic ripping between what we might call classical liberalism and the Enlightenment era and the emphasis on rational, rational thinking and reason, as opposed to now we're into, into this postmodern era, which, of course, there's kind of struggles to explain it. But obviously, one of the aspects of it is the sense that um, reason is, is, if not limited, it might even be just kind of worthless, that it really does come down to power and will which if we break that down even further from a philosophical perspective is kind of a, a, a riff on, on nominalism, the idea that really it's about will. Like if, as William of Ockham said, if God wanted to come as a donkey and save us as a donkey, he could have done that because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. Um, as opposed to an orthodox perspective, or, you know, which says, no, God actually works with reason, and of course, there's things that are super rational, but he doesn't go contrary to reason. Nothing in the Christian faith, Christian theology, uh, you know, Catholic philosophy is, in the end, uh, contrary to to sound reason. It's just that, obviously, the mysteries of the faith go beyond that. So it's like we live in a culture that's being torn apart between these two competing visions, um, and it just seems like the more radical aspect of postmodernism in the last few years has seemed to really gain a, a rapid upper hand. Uh, that's what's interesting to me is how quickly this has, has, has happened, and you see it in a lot of different ways over the last few uh, few years. But uh, certainly this gender issue, this transgender issue, is, is a, big, a big one right now. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And of course, again, a lot of it has to do with sex and sexual revolution. I want, you know, if reflecting the mindset of the sexual revolution, I should be able to have sex with whomever I want, whenever I want, for whatever reason, provided I respect the other person. In other words, I don't rape somebody. And that's, that's right now, that's the, you know, the only major limitation on my sexual expression. And, um, you know, it used to be that that idea was seen as, as, as radical, 
but it was tolerated. If you held that, well, that's fine for you to hold, but society in general, we're going to look down upon that. We're going to say, uh, maybe we shouldn't outlaw that. Maybe you should be allowed in your private life to do that. But, you know, society as a whole, we're going to say that's, that's not really a good, healthy attitude towards sexuality. Well, we've moved from that to um, if I publicly express any kind of criticism of that outlook, then somehow there's something wrong with me. I've become a bad guy. I've become uh, intolerant and negative. And, and we've moved well beyond that to uh, if, 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 you, if I'm even uncomfortable with your claiming to be a woman, even though biologically speaking, you're a man, there's a problem with me. So you're right. This is radical disconnect. It's um, it's a deep, deep schizophrenia right now. And it, and I don't know what the solution is, other than a wholesale return to uh, a, a more traditional understanding of human sexuality and human person. Yeah, along that that very point, that last point you just made, I think that uh, this is you know I um, I don't know if I mentioned it before our previous. Uh, um, conversations here, but we're going to be running a Catholic World Report very soon, a, a review of Joshua Mitchell's book titled American Awakening, which is about identity politics. And Mitchell, who's, who is not a Catholic, but I think takes a very Catholic approach to this issue, a very deeply theological approach, um, he argues, I think, very cogently, very strongly, that we really have two options. A return to a Christian anthropology, which is rooted in understanding that each one of us is a sinner, each one of us is in need of redemption and salvation, or we return to a form of paganism in which it's tribal, deeply tribal, and in which whole classes or groups of people are done away with, banished. They are the sinners as a whole, as a group. It doesn't matter uh, if, as an individual, you say, well, no, I don't agree with that. I'm, I believe this. No, you're part of this particular group. You need to be, in a sense, banished. Uh, you know, in our, in our culture, that would be, you know, canceled or ignored or whatever it would be, uh, mocked on social media, et cetera. And he makes a very strong case that these are the two, these are the two options. And I, mm -hmm. I think, you know, you go back to people like Chesterton who saw this, who saw aspects of this coming even in the 1920s and 30s. He makes similar points really about the same kind of topic about, uh, especially sexuality. Um, and I think that's very true. I mean, those, those really are the options. Uh, and so it's funny because it's kind of a quick, Side note, you have a lot of people who mock the idea of culture wars. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's it's really a battle over what it means to be a human person and what is reality when it comes to the human person and sexuality and marriage and all these interrelated things, which form the basis of society from which then you have political order. I mean, we have things upside down. We tend to think that the political order is, is the foundation for everything, and then we construct everything else on top of that. That's part of our problem, actually. But really, it comes down to what what is truth? What does it mean to be a, a human being, et cetera, et cetera? And then from that springs culture and political order and social order and all those different things. And um, this is the you know this is the debate and the battle. And yes, it's it's really is a battle and a war, a war of ideas, a war of different ideologies or phil philosophies that we're right in the middle of now. We talk about going back to a Christian anthropology. A lot of people hear that and they'll say, well, uh, you know, back in the days when everybody accepted a Christian anthropology, things didn't always go so well. There were gender dis disequality or lack of equality between men and women. 
there was a an, an effort to rationalize or justify uh, a fairly rigid uh, socioeconomic class structure. There was in the in the extreme there was master slave relationships uh, where you know people supposedly operating out of a Christian anthropology saw a whole group of people on the basis of race uh, as being uh, you know justly sub subjugated. So. How, how do you respond to people who say, when you talk about a call to return to Christian anthropology, you're really talking about going back to the, the mindset that justified all these kinds of bad things? Well, it's obviously... It's, it's, <laughs> how's, that, how's that for a simple question? With, in two minutes to go, with two minutes to go, you, you drop that on me. Well, this has really been the, the debate of the 20th century in many ways, right? When you look at the uh, communism, Nazism, other ideologies, the destruction, the murder of tens of millions of people. Um, and I would agree, you know, Fulton Sheen wrote an incredible book back in the 1930s on communism and Christianity. And he makes a very powerful point that I can't explicate fully here. But part of his point is communism, part of communism was a result of failed Christianity. As Christians, we oftentimes fail to be true disciples of Christ, and communism, a big part of it was a desire to form a religious, secular, political ideology that would answer everything, that would handle all the problems of this world, as opposed to what was seen as a, a decadent and failed Christian order. Right. So I talk about retrieving Christian anthropology. Uh, I'm really talking about a robust, biblical, traditional understanding of a human person as being created in the image and likeness of God, infused with with real dignity and value, and then offered the incredible dignity and value of supernatural life through Christ in the Holy Spirit, etc., and that only there do we have the foundation for a really robust uh, order. It doesn't mean that it can't exist without uh, everybody being Christian. That's not the point. It's more that there has to be a particular view of the human person in relation to the creator and the rest of the, the created realm. And I think what, what we have now are people who are saying, no, we can just create stuff as we wish, and we can remake it as we wish, and we can remake ourselves as we wish. And that is not, that's a recipe for disaster, to put it kind of uh, in a short and, and perhaps simplistic fashion. I'm getting a, a message here. Some Somebody has posted, uh, I guess, on uh, Facebook asking us what we're trying to accomplish with this posting. Are we trying to turn our Catholic Church into a judgmental hierarchy without understanding about temptation and how to overcome it? It says, again, you are pointing the faithful away from Christ on the cross. The only way to change abominations is through faith in Jesus Christ. The article you are defending was indefensible. Christ is preeminent in everything. Sinners cannot judge other sinners. St. Paul was a grave mortal sinner persecuting Christ uh, and his new emerging church. Keep in mind that you may need conversion of your own if you think you can judge the misguided sinner. You will become the misguided sinner. Of course, the easy, I don't want to make light of this comment, but the easy retort is, well, aren't you doing the very same thing yeah. in posing your, your comment that you claim that we're doing by making a critical comment? Yeah, there's a strong there's a strong judgment being made here about us being judgmental. Um, I the, you know the whole issue of of 
faith in Jesus, I don't, I don't see how anything that we've said is contrary to, to that. I mean, right. uh, it's kind of, maybe we assume it too much, but, but I, to be clear, both of us here, you know, believe in, in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, right, and we're not trying to make light of people so, who have gender dysphoria and are confused. You know, they're biologically a certain gender, but they think of themselves right. as being another gender. Uh, no. We're not making light of that struggle, but we are saying that when, we, when we're talking about a journalistic account of a person, uh, that it is it's dishonest to describe that person contrary to the truth. The person is a male, and in this particular case, uh, with uh, Dr. Levine, we had someone who's biologically male who identifies as a transgender woman. That's a statement. Well, and to, and, to, and to go to that really quickly, since our, our time is almost up here, uh, this appointment of Dr. Levine was widely praised in the media as being a historical precedent-setting type of appointment. Well, why? If it's just a woman, why? Well, obviously because Dr. Levine identifies as a transgender woman. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that Dr. Levine was a biological male. We're saying that he still is a biological male. So that's, that's the part that's considered offensive. So what to take that logically, what is being said here is that we are being mean-spirited by adhering to Catholic anthropology. I would also say the point about judgment you and I, and this is a basic one-on-one moral theology issue. We never judge someone's souls. I, we're not passing judgment on Dr. Levine's soul. We are saying that this is a public issue for public discussion and rational discourse, right. and that we believe that Dr. Levine is a biological male, and that to say that saying so is offensive or hateful is ridiculous. It goes against common sense. It goes against the facts. It goes against the science. Right. right. And of course, you know, if if Dr. Levine wants to regard himself as a woman, uh, nobody's going to say we're going to throw you in jail uh, for doing that. But that also doesn't oblige other people to agree with that. You know, Uh, just be you know, just because I want to say I'm something uh, doesn't mean that I can oblige other people to treat me as a, that's something, especially when it's contrary to, to reality. So now that's not to say, you know, when you're interacting with people who are identify as transgender, that you should be demeaning or insulting or anything of that sort. It's just simply just because someone says uh, you should treat me. I am a female. I'm a woman, uh, notwithstanding uh, what gender I was assigned at birth. Doesn't mean the rest of us have to, to, to suddenly now think, Oh, this person is actually a woman. That's just that's the part of it that I I think is so is so straightforward. What's being said here by Twitter with our situation is Twitter is saying to us, you in in a real way, you need to acknowledge this is hateful. And in other words, you need to acknowledge that in fact, uh, Dr. Levine is not a biological male. That that is that has nothing to do with it. And to say so, extraneous, right? And we're just saying. We're not pl- we're not going along with that view of reality, and if that means we lose the Twitter account, fine, fine. Right. We're not we're not going to sell basic one hundred and one anthropology right. and reality because of that. Yeah, and I don't think that when Pope Francis, he's very obviously he's very respectful respectful of the human person and dignity of people, and yeah. uh, he's encountered transgender people in various contexts. 
when he nevertheless criticizes gender ideology, uh, I don't think that he's acting contrary to the gospel or contrary to Jesus or, or anything of that sort. So, look, we, we, have to, we have to live in a grown-up world. And a grown-up world is a world where people disagree. And we can disagree and still respect other people. It is not disrespectful to disagree with the idea that because someone who is biologically one sex uh, comes to regard himself as another sex or regard herself as another sex it is not disrespectful to that person that the rest of us who don't see it that way continue to not see it that way. And if we're going to have to live in a society where we can't speak honestly about situations, honestly, but nevertheless respectfully of other people, um, then we really altivism uh, that Pope Benedict warned against. And that's, I'm sorry, but, you know, that that may be something that uh, Christians and other people of goodwill who love and cherish every human being will have to suffer for because we, we simply can't live in a fantasy world where people can be whatever they say they are and the rest of us have to oblige them and talk about them in ways that are contrary to what we conscientiously believe to be reality and which we can point to sciences as backing us up on. Anyway, well, Carl, um, I'm, I'm kind of rambling on here. Uh, you can see this is a subject about which I, I have a, a strong feeling, and I know it's a subject about which you have strong feelings. I'm, I'm looking forward to um, seeing what develops with this, uh, with Twitter and other social media outlets. Um, we appreciate all the effort you put into Catholic World Report, and thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks, Mark. God bless. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and... On behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.